Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and today I'm talking with my good friend, Josh Hedger. Josh is the lead pastor of Emmaus Church, an SBC congregation in North Kansas City, which Josh came to Kansas City to plant in 2015. Uh, he's a good brother and has a real pastor's heart, and it's great to have him on. Josh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jared. This is a different experience to sit across the table and look at you instead of just listening to you there on you the go. podcast as I <laughs> normally do. Well, you know... Um, so just note that, dear listener, one day you could be sitting across the that's, table. That's right. If you listen to enough podcasts, you might one day get an email. I think that's how it goes. You could. You could. Yeah. You just have to be uh, uh, somewhat notable as you are oh, in this right. area. That's right. So you got to do more than just listen to the podcast. You need to contribute something to the culture. Uh, no. Okay. So you, you came to Kansas City originally to plant Emmaus. And uh, originally also to serve as the director of church planting and partnering at Midwestern Seminary. Correct. Um, fairly recently, uh, within the last year or over a little over a year About ago? a year and a half ago. Okay. You were able to go full-time at the church, which yeah. is great. Midwestern's loss was Emmaus Church's uh, gain. Um, but before we get started talking about residency programs, why don't you just tell us a little bit about the church? Um, okay. uh, sort of the... You know, Cliff Notes version of planting yeah. and sort of um, where the church is and uh, uh, your vision for it today. Yeah, absolutely. So this is uh, this is my second church to plant personally. Planted, we've planted churches out of the other churches that I planted, but personally, my second time to take my family and move someplace to for the purpose of planting a church. Uh, the first time I received really no assessment, no coaching, no training walking into that. Um, just had a large church that was a donor church, if you will, okay. that was like, we want to pay you to go um, yeah. do this. And um, and so any kind of opportunities that we were pursuing as far as assessment and different kind of stuff were kind of shut in our face at the beginning of that that time um, for the sake of planting. And, and that church grew really fast and there wasn't necessarily time to do those things. But man, we learned from a lot of mistakes and we learned from a lot of um, just having had no training and having had no development and and those sorts of things. And, and the Lord blessed in, in many ways to bring different types of health back yeah. to that church and to us. Um, but there was a, a root that was kind of planted within our hearts within that process of a desire to train men to be pastors and planters. Uh, kind of a desire grew out of a lack of training uh, <laughs> right. to then train. And so as we began to talk about that and look at that and look at different options, uh, just kind of a few things kept pointing us to Kansas City. And so um, in 2013, we, uh, we determined we were going to move to Kansas City to plant another church, turn the other one over to the pastors that were there, mm-hmm. um, and move here to plant a church with a goal and a purpose of, of training up pastors from that church to send out. Okay. Uh, and so that was kind of the heart behind the planting. Uh, we knew we needed a full-time job to be able to afford to move to Kansas City and do <laughs> right. that. And about the same time we were praying about that, Dr. Allen called and um, offered me a position here at the seminary, and the pieces just kind of began to fall together for that. Uh, and so we moved here. We got here in fall of 2013. It's been a year and a half, um, really, of mainly working at the seminary and just kind of dreaming and praying and planning for the church. Yeah. Uh, and then in fall of um, 14 began meeting in uh, kind of a small group, just a living room group with nine to nine to 20 of us. And uh, and in January of 2015, that had grown to about 35. And we decided we could go ahead and start meeting on Sunday mornings. And um, and so began that process. Uh, yeah. So that was about 35 of us in uh, January of 2015. And um, today, about three and a half years into that process, we're um, averaging around 235, 240, somewhere Very in there. Cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, tell us briefly about your the recent move because the church where you planted, or at least your first um, edi- you know edifice, public space. Yeah. Um, you recently moved now to a different part of Kansas City. Yeah. Um, not too far away, but still contextually yeah. somewhat different. Yeah. So uh, describe that and sort of. Yeah. So when we decided to plant in Kansas City, um, we knew there were lost people all over the city. Yeah. Right? It's, it, you could choose any corner of the city and go to and find people that needed Jesus. Um, what we really determined is we wanted to plant a church in the Northland, mm-hmm. which if you're not from Kansas City, that's everything north of the Missouri River right. in Kansas City, which is where the seminary sits right now. We're sitting in the Northland. We wanted to plant in the Northland and kind of been a forgotten area for church planting for a while as people moved to where other areas of growth were happening in the city. Uh, and when we did that, one of the spots that the North American Mission Board had marked as a, a possible plant was downtown Parkville. There is a piece of property that came available for us right about the time we were looking at that. Uh, and so we stepped into that, rented out a small storefront uh, that uh, could hold about 50 people comfortably and, uh, and then rented out one more like little room in that same building for kids. And then uh, as we grew, we had to like take on another part of that building, tear out walls, rent another offices. So mm-hmm. we had increased to actually having, I believe it was uh, four large office complexes that we had kind of rented in that same building. And as we continued to grow, there just wasn't space there. Um, plus the, the rent was really high. The electric was high. All So yeah. oh, we just began praying. What do we do? Looked at a lot of options, looked at schools, looked at mergers with other churches to kind of take over their buildings. Um, and there's a theater that just kept coming back up on the radar and uh, in North Kansas City. You're right. It's only about 10 minutes from where we were at, uh, but culturally very different. Yeah. Parkville median household incomes, uh, 100 and, 102,000, I believe, was what it was when we were there. Um, and North Kansas City, it's uh, 42,000. Right. Yeah. So very different cultures, straight suburban or um, kind of more urbanized right. um, area. And so, uh, but the Lord just kept opening up doors. And so we moved there. Uh, that was a transition for some of our people. And we had some leave over that process. Hmm. Uh, but since doing that, um, it's allowed us to grow um, in diversity, ethnic, ethnical diversity, um, generational diversity, socioeconomic diversity. So it's been really neat to see those processes. Very cool. Um, I've brought Josh on the program primarily to discuss pastoral residency programs and want to title, in fact, the podcast, Why You Should Start a Residency Program or Ministry Residency Program. Um, initially, uh, I think we could define it as sort of like a formal track for developing men who are interested in pursuing either eldership or vocational ministry, right? So it's not necessarily that they would be vocationally pastors, but those who are pursuing um, eldership or eldership, being, right. right the pastoral office. So let's start with this. First of all, why should pastors and churches even think about this? Because it seems um, it's a growing reality, but for a while it's kind of a scarcity. And I think a lot of people have assumptions about what kind of churches can do this. Right. Um, you have to be a large church. With you you lots have to be a large church with a lot of resources or what have you. So um, let's put it on the level playing field. Um, explain why, no matter what size church you are, or, you know, how much money you have or what have you, why almost everybody should at least consider having a residency program. Yeah. I think if we want to be serious about the multiplication of churches, and and when I say multiplication of churches, not just referring to churches being planted, um, but also um, churches being revitalized, uh, churches that are healthy churches, having healthy pastors that then multiply churches out of them, Uh, If we want to be serious about that, then we have to have healthy pastors to do that. 
Obviously, we sit right now on the campus of Midwestern Seminary, and seminaries play um, obviously a very strong role in that. I have my degree here from Midwestern, and um, all of our pastors actually have degrees from Midwestern. We believe in that. Um, but we also believe strongly in the, the church's responsibility to raise up and train pastors. And, and those look a little bit different focus, the seminary and the, the church do. But when the church begins to embrace that, it gives us a very practical opportunity to play a part in the multiplication of churches by making healthy pastors. Right. Right. So um, I've, I'm pre- prepping for a sermon this weekend at a, at a church I'm preaching at on um, from Titus, and it's made my mind remember kind of the threefold purpose of Titus, where Titus says um, that uh, that the church is, or healthy churches have um, healthy pastors who teach healthy doctrine um, for healthy living, or right pastors, right doctrine, right living, kind of that focus. And um, if we want to have healthy churches, we need to have healthy pastors. And so there's, I think, a, a weightiness for the church to come on board and to train um, these men. And what we've found, because we started this residency the first day we launched as a church, we had 35 people, seven of those were pastoral residents. I'm not sure that that was the best strategy. Um, I'm not sure that ratio is what I would suggest to, um, to yeah. anyone else, uh, though they were very committed uh, members That's from right. day one to the church. <laughs> um, but we had, we had no finances to do that. All we had was were people in time. You yeah. know, for our pastors to sit and meet with the residents and, and walk through them. And, uh, and I think even to this day, you know, we have uh, today 12 pastoral residents. None of them are um, paid. None of them receive a stipend from our church. They even buy their own books. Um, uh, for 12 guys, you know, we as a church spend $4,000 a year gotcha. um, for 12 guys. And so, and we could do it on less. Um, we just do that because we take them to a conference to bless them. Yeah, you there know? you go. Uh, so it's something that as long as you have time uh, to pour into somebody, you can do as a church. The key, though, is intentionality in yeah. the process. Yeah. It, it, what you say about multiplication, I think, resonates and doesn't, um, I think, for a lot of people, connect. If we can talk about the problem of um, the inability of a lot of churches to hire from within. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with hiring a pastor from outside. I've been hired that way. Great pastors are hired that way. Um, and yet, I, I feel like we're just beginning to put our finger on this issue, especially with with rather large churches um, that, for whatever reason, don't seem able to replicate, um, you know, preaching voices or what have you from within, right? right. So you look at the multi-site uh, or, or at least the video venue right. phenomenon and that sort of thing. And, you know, I always just sort of like in the background, I'm wondering, how, you know, how can a church of 5,000, 10,000, whatever right. it is, with all this money, how are they not able to raise up capable, competent preachers? Yeah. Um, you know, maybe they can't raise up a clone of their lead guy, right. but surely with between people and money and what have you, they should have some kind of track. And, and, and I've been astounded Absolutely. at, you know, how few are actually trying to do that. Yeah. So you, well, you, you, you and I that. talked about that last week. What's uh, that? Like you and I talked about that a little That's bit right. last week when we were hanging out at our church. It's like I've never had someone come in from the outside to preach because yeah. I've always got guys to give reps to to learn how to preach. Right. And Sam Burig, the dean of Spurgeon College here, um, used to say, or maybe he still does, I don't know. Yeah, he used to say that the church's responsibility is to listen to bad sermons, <laughs> right? And, and yeah. we've used that yeah. with our church. Like your responsibility is to listen to a bad sermon because unless these men preach bad sermons, they're never going to learn to preach good sermons. Right. Now I understand there's a level of, it's got to be to a level of understanding and ability to teach on a Sunday morning. Right, right. right. But, um, 
but by bad meaning not as good as the lead pastor who's been there, who's sure. been preaching for 20 years, right? Yeah, well, I think two things. I mean, one, you can hear those bad sermons in some sort of training program mm-hmm. as well so that once they've hit the pulpit, they've, you know, they've been vetted, they've been assessed, they've been trained, that right. sort of thing. Uh, but I also think, you know, part of it is just the sermons become a commodity, yeah. a consumer good. Um, and so we like, we wouldn't dare project someone who's just not um, at the high caliber of our lead guy or, right. or whatever it is. But I think you pair that problem with perhaps the, you know, the greater need, which was um, for a lot of guys, at least my generation, uh, we didn't grow up with this kind of emphasis. There might have been like one guy, you know, our pastor would take a side and he would, might become an intern or an assistant or something. Right. But I, I don't recall um, many opportunities like formal processes like, oh, you're aspiring to the noble task of eldership. Mm-hmm. We actually have a program to kind of put you through those paces and assess you over the span of a year, two yeah. years or whatever it is. Um, you know, you're going to read books. You're going you're gonna to learn. And I think a lot of it was just we just trusted seminary to do that. Right. Although for my generation, um, kind of coming out of the seeker church deal, there was a distrust of seminary. So, you know, you certainly yeah. wouldn't send some – like yeah. you didn't have anything internal to train anybody, but you also didn't want to mess them up by sending them to get them full of theology where they're not going to be any good to the church or whatever. Right, it is. right. And now we're dealing with the you know so the you problems. made them the youth pastor. Yeah, right. basically. <laughs> that was we, that was we our gave them to the most impressionable minds. That's right. <laughs> go That's go right. learn there. You're still a mess, so we're going to give you to the kids who are still in progress. Uh, that's and, so true. Um, that yeah. Was so, so, I think now we're just starting to deal with this issue of. Um, you know, how do we not overcompensate, but rectify some of these wrongs, yeah. um, you know, to replicate what we have, multiply, um, you know, our churches and begin to instill health. So, um, you know, the residency that I direct at uh, Liberty Baptist Church is is not designed to replicate seminary. We have most of our guys are seminary students. And so we're not trying to say what you get at seminary is not good. Um, we're trying to acknowledge we can't give you what seminary can, right. and yet there are things that seminary can't give you that we can. Right. Um, you know, primarily just the context of the local church yeah. and and you know the spiritual growth and discipleship that comes with that, but also just certain things that perhaps you wouldn't get in a pastoral care and counseling class or right. what have you. So more applicational theology and and uh, heart work yeah. as, as opposed well, there's to there's something when it's. Uh there's something different to a pastoral care and counseling class that a teacher dealt with 20 years ago within a church and they're presenting it as a case study. And that's, yeah. that's fine and good. It's a good practice. And there's something different when the residents get to hear their pastors go, and this is a situation we have going on in our church and we're working through how to handle this. And it's real life because it's members that they've covenanted with and right. they see the heart of their pastor in that time and space breaking over that need as well. Right. So that's, that's one of the things that, that makes the church so, um, palatable in this training is that uh, you get to see the broken hearts of pastors um, weeping and crying and serving their people, mm. um, which we hope instills not just strategy of how to deal with situations, but a heart issue of how to deal with yeah. pastoral care. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So I think to answer the question, um, why should anybody start this? Really, for leadership development. Um, to begin sort of instilling greater health in terms of, uh, you know, leadership structure in your church, uh, but also as you have an eye towards multiplication and what have you. And I echo what you said. You know, you don't have to have a lot of resources. Um, you know, I, I brought one guy to be a resident up at my last church in Vermont. Um, you know, we set a high bar. You have to raise your own support, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. We'll find a place for you to live and that sort of deal. Um, but you have to be somewhat self-sustaining in that way. Um, at, at Liberty, 
we have zero budget for the residency. So all the guys buy all their own stuff. Uh, nobody's paid to run it or anything like that. Um, yeah, and so we, you just have to have somebody who's dedicated, you know, to serve in that yeah. way and to want to lead and pour into those guys and um, and some willing souls who who want to do it. And I think even if you start small, so if you're Absolutely. listening to this, you know, you got a small church, you got 30 people or whatever it is, and you're thinking, there's no way I could do this. There is. So, yeah. um, you know, establish some sort of formal track for one guy, one guy and begin to pour into him and somehow get, you know, the word gets out. Oh, if I go to this church, um, I'll actually get opportunities to serve, to preach, right. to teach, to, you know, to uh, to disciple others. But I'll also get poured into. Someone will actually invest in me and in developing me. And that becomes a magnet. Churches that actually do leadership development right. become magnets for those who have leadership gifts. Yeah. So. That's good. Absolutely. Um, why don't you describe, um, as we get more specific, describe the residency at Emmaus. How does it work? What are your goals in it? How long does it go? Um, the kind of guys that are in it, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, our residency is, a, we say, a two-year residency, uh, and then there's a third year of conditions. Um, and uh, even within those two years, we give them the summer off of, like, monthly tasks and things. So it really comes out to more of about um, – about 18 months of yeah. work, which I think yours is an 18-month residency right. as well. We just give them two summers off gotcha. there. Uh, and then so they're training for those two years. And then at the end of those two years, there's a um, – we give conditions. So we sit down with each resident after having walked with them for two years and watched them and trained them. And we give them a list of here are your strengths. Here are the areas we've seen you grow. Here are the areas we think you need to address uh, and then we give them steps of how to address the things that we see that they need to address. And sometimes those steps take uh, a month. Sometimes they take three months. Uh, you know, some of them have been a little bit longer and it needed more like six months. Uh, but at the end of that, then, have they, if they've completed through that process and, and taken those steps and we see that growth, um, then kind of the, the end prize, if you will, is ordination through Emmaus, that we would put our stamp of approval on their um, perceived calling and aspiration for pastoral ministry and, and their meeting of those qualifications. Um, through that training, so kind of the way ours is designed is that we have uh, monthly assignments that they do, monthly readings. Mm-hmm. So each month has a topic. The very first month they read your book, Pastor's Justification. Oh, nice. Yeah, and we're keeping you in so business. So they're getting good, solid training good, is what you're saying. Good, solid training from the very first month. <laughs> there you go. That's it's right. all downhill from there. That's, it is all downhill from there. Um, but so, uh, so they start with that. So they'll read a book like that, and then they have a paper that they have to write, right? One of the things that we have them do with your book is actually they have to come up with what they believe believe is the theological foundation, right? What is the key <laughs> doctrinal foundation of this book? Okay. Uh, and then they come and they have to present that and then we team them against each other and they have to defend their position, mm-hmm. right? Which sounds kind of like, why are we doing this right, project right, right. for that book? That's not even the pro- point yeah. of the book. And we address the point and we teach through that and walk with that multiple times throughout their whole residency. We come back to the pastor's justification being in Christ. But what we want to see within that is that they have, they're learning how to read a book and look deeper into the book through biblical eyes of what is the doctrine um, that is here. Is it healthy? Is it right? Is it good? How does this apply to all areas of my life? And then how do they have a conversation about that with people? And we're watching, are they, are they prideful? Are they arrogant? Yeah. Are they um, defensive? Um, or are they the other way? Are they like so quick to change ship that they're like, oh, yeah, smarter people than me chose a different thing. So I'm jumping on their ship <laughs> and I'm just giving up on my, what my thoughts were. We're just kind of observing them yeah, as right. men. Um, 
And so we'll have months on preaching. We have months on um, theology, um, like you know, uh, whether it's uh, sanctification or holiness, or we'll do um, soteriology. We do months on ecclesiology, what is the church and what are eldership. Uh, we'll do months on the family. Um, what does it look like to have a healthy marriage, to be healthy parents? Mm-hmm. Um, such a key biblical qualification for the pastors that they lead their family well, you know. And so we'll spend months on that and pouring into the wives and the husbands yeah. um, both. We'll spend months on counseling. How do you do biblical counseling and offer that to to people. So they always have a topic to read. They have a topic to write on or some sort of project that they have to do to yeah. um, to present. And then we do a monthly meeting. And so our year one and two are kind of operating differently. So yours, I believe, is 18 months That's right. all through. That's right. So we start in January um, with one class, and the next January, a new class comes in. Oh, wow. So we okay. have 12 residents right now. I believe it's split um, uh, eight and four or seven and five, something like that. Um, Some year two, some year one. And so they're on different months of learning. They all come together for part of that meeting and then they separate. Now, for us, that requires that we have multiple pastors there to train and all that. Um, I actually think I'm beginning to like your strategy a little bit more. (laughs) But uh, but we're this far into it. We're just going to keep pushing the wheel forward and see what happens. Well, you know, I've seen the guys that um, are in your residency, have come out of your residency. They're all high caliber. Um, Just been really impressed. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all, but I know that right. there are, you know, people listening who want to know sort of the nitty-gritty nuts-and-bolts type thing. So, there, you know, uh, the way you do it works for Emmaus and, right. um, you know, has produced fruit. Uh, Liberty, as you said, we have it in our pastoral training center. Um, it's 18 months. All the guys go through at the same time, and then we'll start again with a new 18 months. Right. Um, we go through sessions as well where every month they're reading a different book. Um, everyone's reading one book. Those who are not students, um, if you're not in seminary or, uh, or the college here, um, you have to read a, an additional book, mm-hmm. right? So, um, but then you write a paper on that one book. And we go through sessions. We start off kind of big picture with the gospel. The first book our guys read is Ray Ortland's The Gospel. Yeah. Um, then we move into biblical theology. Um, we work through ecclesiology. Then we go to preaching, pastoral ministry, and so on and so forth. And so we're just sort of dialing in from the general kind of more specific. Right. And that's even true with the discipleship as well because just as you guys do, we're pouring into these guys individually. They get opportunities to serve in the church yeah. everywhere from yeah. child care and nursery to driving the shuttle bus to pulpit opportunities, right. pulpit supply. We send them out to fill um, you know, empty pulpits on any given Sunday and then you know, even to uh, teach in Sunday school and that sort of thing. But also just they get one-on-ones with me and some of the right. other pastors. And that goes from general to specific as well. We'll start out just kind of like get to know you. As the months go by, we're asking harder questions about, you know, their devotional life, their marriages and and that sort of thing. So um, those are just two examples to look at. Um, There are other residency programs out there that do it in different ways as well. You know, um, you can always tailor, um, you know, at your church. Uh, to suit your needs and, and the resources yeah. that you have. Jared, do your guys get to come to elders' meetings ever and sit in on those? They do, okay. yes. Um, unless uh, 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 up until, if, you know, some kind of executive session has to be entered. Right. Um, but, yes, they're welcome to attend all those yeah. meetings. Uh, in fact, they're required to attend all the members' meetings, of course. you got to right. be a member to be a resident. Us too. Um, so you, you have to attend members' meetings, um, any kind of special business meeting, that sort of thing. And uh, at this point, they're not required. But we're certainly watching to see who attends elders meetings. Right, right. <laughs> Is there that desire to learn? And That's right. There? Yeah. Um, well. We know it doesn't fit every guy's schedule, especially those you know who are working jobs and going to seminary and that sort of thing. 
So we don't make it a requirement, um, but we we do kind of see who's who's going the extra yeah. mile to take every advantage. Um, our guys, we've heard our guys say that it's the best part of the residency. Yeah, that they get to learn the most about what well, it looks you see like pastoring. To pastor That's in that right. Process. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. All right. Let's take a break here and uh, hear from our hosts at Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. All right, we're back. We're talking with Josh Hedger, lead pastor of Emmaus Church, North Kansas City, and we're talking about why you should start a residency program. So let's talk about the the benefits to the church. Um, you know, I think Many guys who are listening, uh, maybe in churches where this is an easy sell, and um, you know there there are people who are itching to be in this. There are people who are itching to you know uh, benefit from it, but there may be folks in churches, pastors of churches, uh, that don't understand why you would do this. They may see it even as a distraction or a detraction from real pastoral ministry or whatever it is. You guys are just going to geek out and read theology together right. and. Um, so why does it benefit the church? How does it benefit your church? Yeah. But just in general, how does it benefit the church? Well, I think, uh, one, we tell our members all the time that it's not just our pastors who are training pastors, but the church trains pastors, right? These men are learning to be pastors by learning to be a part of the church. So when they're in a small group with someone in the church, when they're doing counseling with someone, when they're serving with someone and their kids, they're learning what it means and looks like to pastor um, by being a part of the church. So we try to bring the whole church in on this and sell it. Um, they're all throughout the year that the church is part of the training of these men, not just our right. our pastors. Um, the benefits that it brings back to our church, I mean, for us particularly, uh, you've got the unique benefit that two of our four elders came through our residency. Yeah. Right? So they were men of our very first class that came in um, who were trained up. One became a pastor as their, his two years was ending, and another one it was a year and a half later. Um, but so our church has benefited directly from our residency by a few of these men becoming pastors. And, and that's a church of any size could see that happen. You know, if you're a church of 50 out um, in rural um, Missouri, you could see someone that has gone through training with you in, in a year and a half, two years from now. There's someone who's met the qualifications to pastor in your church reaps the benefits of them going, you know, I, I do want to pastor, but I want to stay here mm-hmm. and pastor, and I want to keep my job so yeah. that it's not a financial burden on the church, and I want to pastor these people. There's there's that benefit. But then there's also the benefit that this is a way that you get to be a part of blessing and serving other churches if that person does go out, um, when your church might not be the church that has the money to go pour into a church plant, right? I mean, we, we get letters all the time from guys who are raising money to go plant yeah. churches, and our guys send those out to go plant churches. Yeah. Uh, but a church like Emmaus doesn't have um, tons of money to pour into a church plant. Uh, if I were to go hand a church plant, you know, $1,000, that's that's a blessing for a month. It's not a massive um, gift in the form of getting that church really off the ground. Yeah. But if I can pour $1,000 a year for two years into this planter and build him up and train him and then send him out to do that, and that has like 
given them wings, you know, yeah. to, to fly as a church. And so it allows you to be a part of something where you might not have the resources to be able to be a part of that naturally in another way. Yeah. Um, and then the, the other side of it, Jared, is that, um, you know, we have guys who are ready to preach when I need a break, you know. So you might be in a church that doesn't have a plurality of pastors. Uh, you know, for us, all of our pastors preach. I preach about 60% of the time, and we kind of break it up from there. Um, but if you have one resident, that's always a guy that's needing opportunities to preach. And you always know I can, I can hand over my Sunday night Bible study to this guy to right. do it. It gives him reps. It helps relieve some of my burden of studying. Um, and so it's, it's purposeful and it's strategic so that I can pour my energy into something else within the church, that sort of thing. You have that benefit. Yeah. Uh, and you have guys that, and there's always someone to go to and go, hey, I, we need help leading this new initiative at the church or doing this ministry or sharing this burden of pastoral care. Because if there are men who are training to pastor, they should be men who are able to walk through those steps, albeit probably not as proficiently as, as the lead pastor or whatever. They don't have that experience, but they're willing to step in and eager to step in to ministry opportunities and care for the body. And so yeah. it really comes back to benefit the church. So when you look at Emmaus, we've got four pastors and 12 residents. In essence, there's 16 people who are ready to shepherd our people in some form or fashion, you know, whenever that needs. Done. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, I also just think of how much it engenders health in a church to have these examples, yeah. right? So <clears throat> in kind of the traditional default autopilot mode of doing church, you've got the pastors who supply the ministry and the congregants who supply the need for the ministry. Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that works in some places, but it, it's it's somewhat dysfunctional, right? I mean, the, yeah. the, the pastors are meant to be equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Well, if you've got a set of men who um, at the time are lay people, but they're training for this, now you've got these leaders who are actually aspiring to grow in their faith. Um, you know, it's almost like a next step for, uh, you know, uh, their discipleship and what have you. And there are examples within the congregation of people who take their own spiritual health seriously, mm. uh, you know, wanting to aspire, um, you know, to that noble task or what have you. And um, it just kind of raises the bar yes, or just raises the expectations of uh, of what a congregant can even think of themselves. You know, instead of just thinking, well, there's the pastors and there's us, there's actually people who are training to do this. You right. know, there's actually people who are, um, you know, aspiring for leadership and that and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think there's, uh, you know, other elements as well. I mean, certainly you just have those resources, you know, guys who are willing to, you know, even fill in gaps. One of the things we tell our residents on day one is if you're too big for any job in the church, then you're too little for the residency. Mm. So, you know, you see trash in the hallway, you know, you picking that up, Absolutely. that kind of thing. But you're going to serve in the, in the children's ministry, you know, um, the greeting team, all these sorts of things. Don't think that just because you're in here, you're going to you know, only be getting the upper echelon, you know, teaching yeah, the classes, yeah. preaching in the pulpit, that sort of thing. So, um, and, and, and our guys are taking it seriously. So I think you also weed out, um, you know, when you have guys come through the program and, you know, you're somewhat assessing them. They have to apply to get in. Right. But sometimes through the process, you identify that some guys are just not qualified to continue yeah. or they need to be removed or what have you. And that's a benefit to the church as well because otherwise, if, if you didn't have that close kind of scrutiny, mm. you wouldn't see those things. So it's, yeah. a, it's a benefit to them. It's a benefit to the church um, to kind of do this concentrated discipleship that way. So how does it benefit you, right? So mm. we see how it benefits the church. You as a pastor, you have pluralities. So there's other elders who um, are involved with this and um, – who participate in the leadership of this. Right. How does it benefit the pastors and the other leaders of the church to train other leaders? I mean, mm. I mean, aren't you kind of like 
um, working yourself out of a job here. Right, maybe. right. <laughs> that, that would be great, man. <laughs> Early retirement. Um, no, we, uh, man, it, our pastors, you're right, we have multiple pastors who take different roles in it. So we just had a meeting uh, this past week, and I wasn't even at that residence meeting for that month. The two other pastors were teaching that. I teach next month, and um, we kind of go, what, what is this pastor's specialty and how do they help serve that? So we kind of share that, that duty, but it's a blessing to all of us in the sense of it is constantly keeping us thinking about training and discipling uh, in, in various forms. There's always someone that is um, needing to shadow or needing to watch or needing to learn, and which is really important for me because I'm, a, I'm an introvert. Right, I, I would much rather just uh, sit quietly in a coffee shop and talk to nobody um, yeah. all day, and uh, and then if you come approach me, I'll I'll happily chat with you, but I'm not going to go out of my way to approach. But there's always this group of guys that we need to, um, as pastors, be willing to pour into and and uh, and bring with us and take with us places that we're going to speak or things that we're we're doing, um, so that they can be a part of ministry and learning. So it keeps me thinking on ministry rather than um, maybe shrinking back and just staying in my thoughts without actually doing practical ministry, if that makes sense. It also helps me in the form of um, I'm constantly having to be aware of this reality that if I'm pouring into 12 men to be pastors, which is essential and important for us as a church within our mission um, and and within our values, uh, but, but if I'm doing that and I'm not doing that with those who aren't willing um, or aren't pursuing, I should say, pastoral ministry, then there's also a disconnect within mm. my mind of, of pastoral ministry. It's kind of like, okay, so these are our A team. I'm going to pour into our starters because they're the guys who are ready to put on the court. Um, but right. but you're, back, you're, you're on the C team, JV guy, <laughs> and, uh, and I don't really have time to pour into you. Um, unless you want to try to be on the A team, then I'll, I'll give you something. And, and so I'm constantly having to just keep in mind the fact of I pastor a church, yeah. you know, with a hundred and and 60 covenant members, um, not 12 covenant members. Right. And so yeah. the whole church needs me to pour in. And so how are we pouring into the rest of the church and developing them and discipling them? Uh, but but it's also helped us learn how to better disciple the church by yeah. seeing, what well, what does it look like to raise up a godly pastor? Because if you look at the biblical qualifications of a pastor, other than the ability to teach, none of them are out of the um, prospect of what a normal believer should look like, yeah. right? And so if these are the things it takes to help disciple and develop these men to be pastors, then um, many of these things are the same things that we can use to help develop and disciple our people. And so it's given us a more intentional understanding of how to disciple our people, which I guess is a benefit to the church, yeah, back yeah, to yeah. your last question, and a benefit to us, that it helps us yeah. stay focused that direction. That's good. Yeah, I can say like one of the benefits to me that I've noticed is helping me stay agile in my thinking of what a pastor is, Mm. right? So, you know, I've got uh, 11 guys at this point, and they're kind of all over the map in terms of um, some of the, like, strengths and weaknesses. Some, um, you know, just to generalize, some seem more pastoral, others seem more leadership. Some are better preachers than others. Some are more theological. You know, theologically driven Absolutely. than others, that sort of thing. You know, they're all we can, uh, you know, determine um, at least have the bud of qualification, or, or they wouldn't be in in the residency. Um, and so, it's helped me to see. Okay, all these guys could be pastors, right? I mean, given um, you know, demonstrating the qualifications and what have you. Um, you know, there's not a guy that 
you know, if we just felt like this, there's just no way that you know he wouldn't even be in, in the residency. Right. So it doesn't mean we're going to ordain every guy or anything like that. But I've had to, you know, to remember that not every pastor is the same. That yeah. you know, the qualifications are, Absolutely. you know, a, a, a bare minimum for everyone. But then you've got different gifts and different personalities yeah, yeah. and temperaments and what have you. And sometimes those benefit different kinds of churches, different contexts, and that sort of thing. And it's just a reminder of just how beautiful um, the church uh, in general is. But it keeps me outside of my own kind of right. um, out of my own head, and also out of my. Uh, sort of cookie-cutter mold of what the pastor so good. looks like. So there's certain guys that I'm thinking, um, oh, yeah, he's definitely a pastor. I mean, you can right, just tell. He, right. I mean, the way he carries himself already, that kind right. of thing. And there's other guys you are like, you know, he is, but he's a particular kind. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, that sort of thing. And it's not negative, positive. It's just different, and it yeah. just helps me to remember the – the diversity, even within the qualifications. That yeah, that, that is so good, especially in, in my church planting world where um, you're looking for type A, strong leader, That's attract right. everybody to him type personalities to plant. But you have a guy that leaves our residency and they're at another church now learning how to be um, a pastor of counseling, right? Yeah. And they're they're not a great preacher. They're never going to be a strong leader to attract people to them. But if you were to sit him or I down with you in a room to counsel you through a situation, you would definitely want to choose him, yeah. right? He's that's his strength, and and so that's that's definitely a, a benefit there. Um, I had one another one on my mind a moment ago while you were talking, but then I forgot. So. <laughs> we'll just delete that out, like you did say that. Yeah. Well, I mean, even just like you know, personality types, right? Introvert, extrovert, that sort of thing. Um, it's a good exercise for just pastoring, you know, the church in general and, yeah. and different you know, kinds of people that you interact with. When you're sort of up close and personal with some of these guys, you know, you're dealing with different uh, temptations or different tendencies. Mm-hmm. You know, there's things in the extrovert that I want to, you know, kind yeah. of address or at least temptations they may face or tendencies. And there's but there's a different set in the introverts that yeah. I'd want to address and say, hey, these are some things you may face in your church. Yeah. And it just kind of keeps me nimble and somewhat, right. you know, agile and in, in, in how I think about ministry in general. I remember what I was going to say. Okay. Good <laughs> if, you're, if you're a guy like me, I have this itching like every four years that I need to do something new. Okay. Right? <laughs> so um, there's just this, I mean, if, and I look back at, at my previous ministry experiences, everything has been three to four years mm-hmm. and then on to the next thing. And I felt it here at Emmaus when I had been um, in Kansas City at four years, I told Tish that the idea of staying here felt like something in me was crawling up and dying, oh, right? Because wow. there's just this need to go do something new. Yeah. But at the same time, new, I'm not called to go do something new. This is where I'm at. And yeah. so what has to change within my heart there? And the idea of doing a residency for me has personally blessed me because there's always something new, always someone new to pour oh, into, good. someone new to send out, and some new ministry to help them um, get off the ground or flourish in. And so it's been good for me in that sense. Awesome. Josh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, brother. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jared. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I hope it's been a, a, a blessing to you uh, who are listening. Um, we've been speaking with Josh Hedger, pastor of Emmaus Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, you can learn more about Emmaus and their residency program by visiting EmmausKC.com, EmmausKC.com. Uh, you can learn more about the Pastoral Training Center at Liberty Baptist Church by going to lbcliberty.org. And, of course, um, there are other programs that are out there. Um, take a look at the internships. Not quite the same thing at Capitol Hill Baptist, kind of a gold standard for internships. Um, you can see what they do. When I was at Middletown in Vermont, 
Um, I connected with Joe Thorne at Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles of Illinois about their residency program. Um, there's lots of good examples of these things that you can learn from. So uh, get online, you know, start doing some Google searching, start doing some networking, um, and you can find some great resources for this. Um, as always, thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends. Review us on iTunes. Every little bit helps. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, managing editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.